Welcome back to Birds of a Feather Talk Together. We've got a really fun episode today talking about wild turkeys, from their amazing conservation success story to their magnificently unique feathers. We're also very excited to have our first guest join us, Jacob Drucker. Jacob joins Amanda, John, Shannon, and I for the next couple of weeks. Jacob is a PhD candidate at the University of Chicago in the Field Museum, which is how he knows John and Shannon. Next week, we're going to do an episode on Hawaiian honeycreepers, and Jacob has spent time in Hawaii studying and working in conservation of the honeycreepers. We'll get into a lot more detail on that next week, but we wanted Jacob to join us this week as well to talk turkey for Thanksgiving. On this episode, you'll also hear about the oscillated turkey, as well as a story about John seeing a turkey in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We're going to post some really cool pics on our Instagram of both of these, so make sure to follow us to see. Okay, go get your binoculars, and let's gobble gobble. Well, did you guys, Shannon, you sent yesterday the the John Oliver thing, talking about the poot techie techie. Yeah, we're yes. going to do a whole episode on that, because yeah. that is, that... I, that's a cool, really cool bird. But oh, yeah. what it to me, what that showed is the power that individuals can have, um, and the power that New Zealand has to preserve its own um, its own wildlife. And that I think is something that we should try to emulate more. I mean, I don't get me wrong. There's bureaucratic problems everywhere. I'm not that naive, but um, that's a worldwide emphasis on New Zealand every year now with that bird competition. And that's fantastic. Yeah. Even yeah. people like me vote. No, yeah. Yeah. Who did you vote thing. for? In, in, case, in case people don't I realize this, a Pateki-Teki is, is a grebe. <laughs> uh-huh. And we certainly have our share of grebes that are pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, but John Oliver didn't talk about them. No, he didn't. He absolutely They don't didn't. puke. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think we should do a whole episode on that because it touches on ways in which you can actually garner support for places and for wildlife. Yeah. So. Well, everyone, while you're at home at Thanksgiving, go to YouTube and look up the John Oliver Puteki Teki because we definitely got a kick out of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There will be more on that bird later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. John has trouble saying it. I do. I have trouble saying American Robin. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't admit that. <laughs> Well, so today we're going to talk about the wild turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Meliagris gavapavo. There you go. That's his scientific name. <laughs> As you look I'm stunned at yeah. yeah. What language is he speaking? Right. Right. that I'm yeah. not completely yeah. incapable of <laughs> spewing something out. So this is RJ, Amanda, and John and Shannon are with us, and we have Jacob joining us again today as well to talk about the wild turkey. Um, all right. So is there anywhere we want to start specifically talking about the turkey? Well, I, I'm gonna. The first thing I'm gonna say is is that wild turkey is one of the more amazing conservation stories in North America, in the sense that they were pretty much extirpated from about 90 percent of their range, and since about the mid 1900s, they've been reestablished incredibly, and they've done very very well. So they're in the realm of uh, a bird like the non-migratory populations of Canada goose in terms of something that have gone from something that was almost mythical to people to something that people are seeing 
in cities all over the eastern U.S. now. And so, you know, it's an it really is kind of an amazing conservation success story. <laughs> and what has mostly led to the success? Is there kind of one factor? Or? I, I think a lot of it is is no, I don't think it's one factor because I think some of it actually says a lot about wild turkeys, mm-hmm. which is that that, you know, they always point out that Ben Franklin wanted it to be the national yes. bird and and bald eagle won out but but one of the things franklin would talk about was how smart they were and i you know whether or not it's intelligence they certainly have an incredible capacity for a large bird to exist around a lot of predators and do it successfully yeah that's why people think they're smart is because they're really social right (laughs) i mean does that make them smart maybe um they certainly do have that kind of a social behavior thing but I think a, a lot of birds are smart by my definition that doesn't mean that they have to like being around people <laughs> they're very aggressive I don't know if oh, you've ever yeah. been kind of uh, run at by any turkeys <laughs> but there's a dominance hierarchy in turkeys and they <laughs> they seem to think we're part of that oh right both, so, ma- both males and females will be aggressive or know about females okay do you we, know nope no do you know jacob so we've seen females uh in the wild up yeah. in northern wisconsin and we were kind of there was like a group of maybe 20 of them and they like jumped out and we just kind of <laughs> stood there and they all kind of just meandered around us and kept going and didn't really look and then kept going yeah and it well was they like, look cute until they decide yeah. you're they need to be dominant over you. Oh. And then they don't look so cute. Okay. And, and swans <laughs> are terrifying when they've decided that, you know, they want to be pretty aggressive. So maybe I had different experiences with wild turkeys growing up than you guys did. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mess with wild turkeys. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're actually, yeah, they're actually introduced where you grew up in yeah, well, southern Canada. They came with their social system and evolutionary intact oh. with them. So... But, I mean, if you look at turkeys beyond just what we think of as turkeys on your table are white feathered things that have been uh, domesticated for people to eat, right? But that's not what turkeys actually look like. And if you look up close at turkeys, their feathers are just not just their colors, but their shapes of their feathers are just unbelievable. Mm. There's all this iridescence. There's a lot of different kinds of colors. There's bronzes and greens that are all iridescent and their feathers are really amazing and they have these wattles which I learned yesterday are called snoods did you know that <laughs> I think I learned that the last time I had to talk to people about turkeys yeah I didn't I didn't know that until yesterday I'm like a snood but anyways their snoods get really big during the breeding season and get all red and I mean, and they cha- change bizarre. color like it just like they can the blood flow like it'll turn more red just like the, they're getting more aggressive right it's like you yeah. can actually see the change happening which i thought yeah. was kind of cool so you know and, and they they can fly i mean they do, they don't do it very often but they're actually quite strong flyers for <laughs> at least short distances yeah and that's what another thing if you just think of the turkey on your table you don't think of them they don't fly because they're they don't. They're not mm. around enough really to do those kinds of things. But yeah, so turkeys are a lot cooler than just the stuff you eat on your Thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> well, and, table. And, and coming back to the idea of how smart they are, but I mean, again, the populations have just exploded um, in the last 
70, 80 years across eastern North America. And, you know, how many people have seen a turkey nest? So this is a big Not bird me. that's yeah. laying a fairly large clutch of eggs. What is it, 4 to 13 or something? Yeah, and yeah. they have to be out there in the forest, and yet I've never seen a turkey nest. Mm. And so, you know, th- what I like about turkeys is they have the capacity to be incredibly uh, discreet and not all that noticeable mm-hmm. in a landscape where there can be an awful lot of them these days, like like up in Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, we tried to go find them after they passed us, and yeah. it was like they were gone. It was like all of a sudden there was a bunch of them there, and then 10 seconds later they had all wandered off, and we couldn't find them again. So they were super discreet. Yeah. I mean, the— as I understand it, the hunters will tell you that that they're a challenge, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's mostly because when they know you're coming, they they can clear out and be hard to find. One of my favorite turkey anecdotes is um, from Bosque del Apache National Wildlife Refuge in New Mexico, which is this big, famous wildlife refuge for giant numbers of sandhill cranes and snow and Ross's geese. Um, but the last time I was there, we saw this giant. It looked like a dinosaur herd of two, three hundred turkeys all foraging in this fallow field with the cranes and the and a bunch of peccaries too, these pigs all foraging in the this thing. And we uh, we said, oh, wow, that's so cool. I've never seen, you know, I feel like I'm walking with dinosaurs. It's very, you know, it's, it's totally different than your typical turkey experience. We went, came back half an hour later, all gone. Jeez. Wow. Hundreds. Yeah. You know, and, and again, you know, coming back to your comment about why they're doing so well, I think in an area like Wisconsin, you've got this perfect matrix of forest plots that they can go into and get up in the trees and, and roost in the trees at night, and then they can come out and feed in cornfields during the day. And so they've adapted really well to to this mixed agricultural landscape across the country. John, what led to them, like you were saying, they were yeah, ex- extirpated? Ex- yeah, extirpated from... means taken out of the environment. Okay. So not it's on the road to extinction. Okay. But um, so they were extirpated out of ninety percent of their range. Why? How? What yeah, it was just it was basically hunting and and uh, habitat conversion is 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 my primary thought on that. Okay. And then you know if you look at what's happened in eastern North America, for instance, states like Pennsylvania and New York, which were those Largely, were refuges for them. Well, the, well, but that's where the ones that came that came they went to Minnesota. And so, so like some of these areas, like the the Adirondacks and, yeah. and some of the places that weren't logged, but the rest of the state was basically farmland for for long periods of time, and so they didn't have the the woodlots and things that they they needed. And you know, again, it's an, it's amazing to think about how much change has happened over eastern North America over the last 200 years or so. So I went back and looked at our collections because I always do to figure out how many we have of these things. And this was really interesting to me. We have 187 um, turkeys in our collection. And the earliest one is from Pennsylvania in 1854. So there's a lot of stuff that we could learn about just the movements of individuals and the relatedness of individuals going backward in time through through collections. I think that would be a really interesting thing to do to track it genomically, the things that we know maybe a little bit about um, from historical written records of what people 
did to and, them. And you can go even further back in time because they show up, turkey bones are readily identifiable and they show up in middens and in, in archaeological sites. And so there's there's been some effort to get DNA out of the bones of turkeys in these fossil sites to, to look at historical genetic structure. Hmm. And that was back before they were called turkeys, by the way. And then as <laughs> as beautiful as wild turkey is, people should also Google oscillated turkey, which is the other member of the genus because it's only found down in Central America. And it's literally one of the most beautiful birds in the world in many ways. Oh. Wow. We don't have any in our collections. Yes, we do. We do? Yeah, we'll I, have oscillated turkeys. I looked and I didn't see anything. Really? Well, now we got to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's Go what's ahead. what's different about them? What do they? What they're do just they look like? they're just more brightly colored. Oh. They're actually a little smaller and more brightly colored. And if you go down to some of the Mayan the, the archaeological sites in, in places like Guatemala and mm-hmm. and uh, Honduras, you know, there's they're just around the sites because they've they've been living in these areas for their entire existence. And mm-hmm. so it's a they're just absolutely stunning birds. We we can we can post a picture from that was taken by one of the our former volunteers who went down there. Oh, great! Have you seen them live? No, I haven't spent any time in the Yucatan where they are. Mm-hmm. I haven't, of course, seen them live. But you know the the the, the neck it looks like it's like the color of windshield wiper fluid. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, wow! It's oh. like just bright blue and then kind of offset with neon orange, little bumps and things. Wow. And, you know, wild turkey in North America, feathers, you know, they're kind of like, st- they look metallic mm. and oscillated does too. But if you just like put tie-dye in your <laughs> steel wash, you would end up with... They're, they're, they're a stunning bird. That's I mean, crazy. Just, not the, and, but, but again, Shannon's right. Like North American turkeys are surprisingly beautiful. We have this, this one... Set of, it's it's basically we were skeletonizing a turkey that had come in as a salvaged bird, and they saved the the feathers along and, and skin along the back of the bird down to the tail, and it's one of the best things to take out for birds for touching when we go out and talk to to the public because most people can figure out what it is, and it usually takes them a little while, but then they get up close to it and can see just how absolutely stunning these feathers are. That's a feather that if you smash it with a hammer, turns gray. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Because it's all about the structure that makes that, ir- that there's no, that's not a dye or pigments inside that feather, it's structure. Wow. And when you disrupt the structure, just like we've talked about in other podcasts, the feather turns gray. Wow. It's dramatic too. Um, and that's something people can actually do if you can find turkey feathers. You know, you could do that on your own, your own very own science experiment. <laughs> One of the things that's always, like, been super striking to me is the difference between the male and the female, like, not just, like, the way they look, but size, too. Like, I feel like the male is, like, so much bigger than the female, the sexual dimorphism. Is that what it's called? Are there other examples of, like, birds where the size difference is that much between the male and the female? It seems like a really extreme... Yeah, it's very interesting you're bringing that up because we just had a wonderful seminar from a researcher named Sarah Lipschitz because while there are lots of examples where the males are bigger than females, she actually studies these birds called jasanas, which are are also like the common name is lily trotters. They have these big, long toes that they walk around in flooded areas. And in jasanas, the females are bigger than the males. 
Oh. And so so they've switched the role reversals and actually the males do the caring for the young. So, yeah, no, there's I mean, within I would say within the galliform birds. So the the um, chicken like birds, which turkeys are a family within that group. Um, I'd say it's pretty typical for males to be bigger than females and have okay. these adornments because there's there's basically sexual selection for male displays to attract females. Okay. Yeah, more bizarre than turkeys even when you start look at looking at grouse booming and you know some of their behavior puts turkeys to you'll put turkeys to the side when you see the way some of these other birds behave. Yeah, but none of them gobble, Shannon. That's true. <laughs> okay, yeah. There's some pretty good calls. I mean, I, yeah. I put ptarmigan up there with anything oh, in the yeah. world. And sage grouse. <laughs> so. But all the but the biggest size thing happens from happens in these groups that display these birds that display in group called lex, right? So turkeys, sage grouse, the, you know, if you're a female, it's easier to pick between your males when they're all together. Um, and turkeys do that, sage grass do that, prairie chickens do that. So oh. I'll tell you they like big, females must like bigger males or it wouldn't be like that. Mm, okay. Right. So it might not be the only thing they care about, but they clearly care about size. Okay. Well, it, it, I mean, it, it's, that's why it's such a neat field, right? Because you've also got the males battling among themselves to get the best p- positions and, and too. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of complexity about that. That's it. Yeah. Is there like a pecking order or alpha, I guess, of the group when they get together with a bunch of males like that? Is that, or is it just kind of? So so I don't know about turkeys, but that's Mm -hmm. certainly true in chickens. Anybody who's had chickens will tell you that that within their chicken coops, there's a very clear hierarchy. And it's not just one bird dominating everything else. It actually goes down the ladder um, where, where you can have third and fourth dominating the fifth, sixth, and seventh. Mm -hmm. I think that's true in turkeys, too. Okay. I think they have a dominance hierarchy, but I think they are not so concerned about having people as part of their dominance hierarchies. So they're so accustomed to being around people that they just view you as part of someone to dominate if, uh. that's, the, if that's the way it's going to be. Um, but they've been around humans for a long time. You know, looking back at some of the literature, they've been domesticated for over 2,000 years. That's a long time. Mm. Um and I thought the way they got their name is hilarious to me, or one of the ways people have hypothesized they get their names. It's this Colombian exchange that happened after Columbus came, and there were things that were brought back and forth across the world after that. And um, turkeys were one of those things uh, that ended up in Britain, but they went in Britain through um, the area around Turkey. Uh-huh. And so that's where they got their name. The, British people who imported them in that way thought they were from Turkey. Really? So oh, no way. because that's where the ship that came from that brought them there. Oh. So they ended up thinking they ended up being called Turkey because they thought they had I did not know that. Turkey. That's hilarious. So that made me I didn't I didn't really know that. That That's some good Thanksgiving conversation. Yes. Yeah. But that is crazy. I, the whole thanks well, I have mixed feelings about Thanksgiving and kind of in general. Let's but, hear it. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you want to okay. talk about getting political. Okay. I think the, <laughs> the whole dominance hierarchy in people is uh, something that um, does not necessarily bring up the best in okay. people historically. <laughs> it definitely is not. But the evidence for turkeys being at the first Thanksgiving dinner is not there. So 
other forms of protein, yes, but not turkeys. So I don't know how, do you guys know how turkeys became so prevalent and associated with Thanksgiving? Well, I think the reason why they've become such a food item around the world is they have a lot of meat on them. I mean, they're, they're kind of the, and I think they're relatively easy to raise. You know, so I'm thinking back to Jacob saying, you know, why wasn't sage grouse, why didn't sage grouse become a bird around the world? And, and I think it's, yeah, I think there, I mean, there are some things about turkeys where they have a lot of meat. And I think, like you said, once they adapt around people, they're pretty easy to keep. John, you sent us a picture of a turkey that you saw in the Democratic Republic of Congo. You know, the greatest thing about my job is I get to go to all these great places. And, and we were on this, we were trying to get back out of the field in uh, uh, an island called Ijwi in Lake Kivu in the middle of uh, uh, the Congo on the eastern edge. And, and we got to this uh as we were driving out, one of the guys that worked with us had a little farm and, and his family had some turkeys. And so he was bringing these turkeys back. And so the picture is of me after this very, very long, rough bus ride where this turkey that we had wrapped into a basket because it was going to become dinner somewhere was actually starting to get out. And so I just reached <laughs> over and grabbed it and somebody <laughs> took a picture. But I, I I literally got a, I posted it at one point early on and I got a an email from some turkey biologists from Purdue University who wanted to know, you know, what the history was. And I, you know, again, coming back to what Shanda said, I think early on people domesticated them, were able to rear them in captivity. And so they've made it to all corners of the world, including the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. <laughs> well, I mean, they taste good, right? Mm-hmm. So, they do. And there's lots of food for things like turkeys to eat. Yeah, I was thinking with the way humans have altered the landscapes. <laughs> Another thing about about these kinds of birds is they're they're young or what's called precocial, which means they 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 hatch fully able to move around. So chickens are like this, and and I think that provides a measure of uh, of and their clutch sizes are fairly large. So so you can get a lot of individuals raised up into a small captive population pretty easily. All right. Well, I think. Oh, Jacob. I th- so yeah. the specifics are fuzzy, but I'm pretty sure that. Turkey became a Thanksgiving entity because of some author. And I remember, I can't remember her name, um, but there was some, you know, hot, trendy author post post depression who was trying, who, who wrote some, I don't know whether it was a magazine piece or a novel that like popularized, it coincided with the popularization of Thanksgiving in American huh. culture. And Turkey was a part of that story. And okay. I think the popularization of Thanksgiving and oh, turkeys, the connotation with turkey uh, happened then. But clearly okay. I don't remember all the details. I mean, turkeys are also really old in an evolutionary sense, like tens of millions of years hmm. old, which is, you know, pretty good. Yeah, They've been around for a long time. They can also, uh, they have these gizzards that can crush almost anything. Mm. Uh, They've done some ridiculous experiments with that. So they, they eat acorns and things, and they can just grind them up. So you can uh. feed them almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> and they also dust. I, as I look down at my notes, I mean, wait, so what they, do you mean they what, dust? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the anting thing. Oh. They get on the ground and 
make all these weird movements to put dust on their feathers, clean their feathers (laughs) off and get rid of mites and other parasites uh, on their feathers. And there's videos of it that's hilarious, actually, if you go back and look at videos of turkeys dusting, because it's a pretty big bird to do things like that. So it's kind of dramatic. (laughs) I didn't realize that they have beards. When I was yeah, doing my that, research, that, well, and, and they're <laughs> they're incredibly modified feathers, oh. so they're they're really yeah. strange. I mean, it, it it feels more like hair than anything oh. else. But it is actually like a feather, right? Yeah, like yeah, feather, yeah okay. it's a very modified. Oh. Yeah, I don't know that anybody's ever studied that. Would hmm. be interesting. And they said some female females have beards too, which was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, focus way too much on see, males. Well, no, no, but <laughs> but what I wonder on that is whether that, that's related to testosterone levels which mm. are wow. elevated in a dominant female for instance maybe mm. i mean i wouldn't surprise me if there's Except a potential correlation i don't think that's what that. sarah found in uh in is that what in chicanas that's true she did yeah that's true so, you're right mm. speaking Anyways, of things not just can... testosterone boys that produce those kinds of things mm. <laughs> all right so we have a we have a question um this is from lauren from Glen Ellen, illinois um lauren says can you all do an episode on the peregrine falcon Curious to learn more about them. Not only can we do an episode, we will bring in an absolute expert with 40 years of experience banding peregrines in the Chicago region, assuming we can convince her to come. <laughs> so Mary Hennon, our assistant collection manager, has just, uh, you know, she's done an incredible uh, amount of work. And peregrine falcon, just like turkeys, is another one of these incredible success stories where you had extirpation from the entire eastern U.S. They were almost gone because of DDT, and they've been brought back into cities. So they're not even in the habitats they were originally in, but they're extremely common across the entire eastern U.S. now. And And there are peregrine falcon cams. So for people who are interested in watching peregrines, I have friends who say, did you see? Can you ask Mary? Is is that bird okay? I'm like, you know, I have a job. I can't spend my day looking at at the peregrine falcon cams. But okay, I'll go see if I can find her. Um, But there's a Facebook page that people can go to, especially at the beginning of breeding season, where you can see them starting to nest and... um, and that you can count the days and the chicks and things like that. Oh, cool. So it's really <laughs> so we fun. may need your help, but I'll bet we can convince Mary to, All right. to come on. We, and we talk met about Mary it. when we, I think, when yeah. we first met you, John. So, yeah, that'd be awesome yeah. to have her in here. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, that's it for this one then. So, thanks, everyone. John, you want to close it out? Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, as you're thinking about your turkey, uh, think about what ship it came from and what part of the world. <laughs> <laughs> We want to thank Earhole Studios in Chicago for recording. Shout out to Daniel and Adam for all their help. If you have a question for John, Shannon, Amanda, and I, feel free to send it to podcast.birdsofafeather at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram. We appreciate all the bird brains out there for reaching out. We want to wish everyone a safe and peaceful Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week to talk about Hawaiian honey creepers. 